This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Welcome back to the second part on pearls and pitfalls of necrotizing soft tissue infections with Jess Pelletier. The first part looked at some background, the presentation, and labs. Let's get to part two, and we're starting with imaging. Pearl number five, imaging has variable sensitivity for NSTI and can delay definitive operative management. Pitfall, relying on imaging to secure a diagnosis. Remember that NSTI is a clinical diagnosis and imaging is therefore not required. Plain radiographs have poor sensitivity for soft tissue error and CT and MRI can be time consuming and not universally available. If a surgical specialist recommends these prior to seeing the patient, you may want to give some pushback. Let's talk more about sensitivity and specificity of each modality. Plain radiographs have a sensitivity of only 49%, and some sources say as low as 25%, so you can't use these to exclude NSTI, but they can be helpful to accelerate disposition if you see free air. Importantly, you should know that NSTI is not always caused by gas-forming organisms. A systematic review and meta-analysis from 2019 evaluating 23 studies identified the sensitivity and specificity of CT to be 88.5% and 93.3%. Pretty good, but other studies have shown a sensitivity as low as 80% for CT. CT can also be non-diagnostic in NSTI due to identification of nonspecific inflammatory changes like swelling, especially early in the course of disease. Like we mentioned before, you may not always see soft tissue gas if you don't have an NSTI caused by an organism that makes gas. So the specificity can be high, but you're not always going to see that. MRI has a sensitivity of 90 to 100% for NSTI when you look specifically at fascial thickening with T2 weighting. The specificity with T2 weighted images is much lower at 50 to 85%, But MRI has limited accessibility in many EDs, and it takes a long time to obtain and interpret these images. You don't want to send a patient who can rapidly progress down a deteriorating chorus to the MRI suite. Those numbers are absolutely eye-opening. I think many of us potentially use CT as a way to rule out NSTI, but based on these numbers, you had said 80%. We really shouldn't be. We need to be getting our surgeon at the bedside to evaluate these patients. And I don't work at a center where MRI is an option for this diagnosis. And even if it was, like you said, I don't think I'd feel too comfortable sending this type of patient to an MRI scanner when they can rapidly decompensate. So let's look at another imaging modality. What about ultrasound here? What are you looking for with this? Pearl number six, POCUS can support the diagnosis of NSTI, but it's insufficient to exclude the condition. Pitfall would be not utilizing POCUS in NSTI evaluation. You can use POCUS or point-of-care ultrasound to assist in your diagnosis of NSTI. There are many case reports describing how rapidly you can make the diagnosis of NSTI at the bedside, in some cases where CT and MRI imaging was non-diagnostic. The staph mnemonic can help us recall the ultrasound findings in NSTI. This stands for subcutaneous thickening, air, and fascial fluid. 
Free air is often a late finding and might be absent if NSTI is not due to gas-forming organisms, like we mentioned with X-ray and CT. You can see irregular and thickened fascial layers when compared to the contralateral side, and in our case, this actually sealed the diagnosis of NSTI. Fluid accumulation has been demonstrated to be the most sensitive POCUS finding for NSTI, with a sensitivity as high as 88.2% and a specificity of 93.3% when using a 4mm cutoff. Another retrospective study with prospective enrollment didn't reproduce the same levels of sensitivity and specificity, though it has been shown that as the cutoff for fluid accumulation on ultrasound increases, the sensitivity goes down, but specificity goes up. I really like this point, using ultrasound for the diagnosis, especially with the staph mnemonic. I am by no means an ultrasound expert, but this is a pretty straightforward exam to perform at the bedside. Look for that sub-Q thickening, the free air, also that fascial fluid. If you find these, even more evidence for an NSTI. Just let's get to treatment. What's the first pearl and pitfall when it comes to management? Let's dive right into it. Pearl number seven, ensure the patient is hemodynamically optimized and has received antibiotics before transfer to the surgical suite. Pitfall, withholding antibiotic therapy if the diagnosis of NSTI is not entirely clear. Patients should receive aggressive fluid resuscitation, early broad-spectrum antibiotics, and initiation of vasopressors if fluid resuscitation does not maintain adequate perfusion. While appropriate medical resuscitation of the unstable patient is critical from our standpoint, one has to be cautious not to create an excessive delay to surgical exploration while resuscitating the NSTI patient, since surgical management is the definitive therapy. Delays to the surgical suite can lead to worsened spread of the underlying infection and then increased risk of amputation, hospital length of stay, and mortality. So this is a fine balance between our medical resuscitation and going to the OR. Let's talk about the general empiric antibiotic regimen for NSTI, with the caveat that you should look at your local guidelines and antibiogram. Number one, you should have gram-negative and anaerobic coverage with a carbapenem or beta-lactam beta-lactamase inhibitor or cefotaxime and metronidazole. Two, gram-positive coverage with antitoxin effect using clindamycin and gram-positive with MRSA coverage with vancomycin, daptomycin, or linezolid. You should also cover with doxycycline if the patient was exposed to water sources of inoculation so that you're covering for vibrio or aromonas, and antifungal coverage should be added if the patient's immunocompromised. Please see Table 6 of our article for antibiotic substitutions in patients with contraindications or allergies to the medications we've discussed. A couple adjunctive therapies also exist in the literature, and these are controversial. You may have heard about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or HBO, which has been proposed to assist by increasing the oxygen concentration in the relatively hypoxic fascial tissues. Because fascia has poor oxygenation at baseline, it's thought that this is even made worse by microvascular thrombosis and subsequent compromised blood flow that occurs in NSTI. By maximizing tissue oxygenation, HBO could inhibit anaerobic bacterial growth and increase cytokine activity, but studies haven't shown convincing improvement in patient-centered outcomes, and the limited availability of HBO prevents routine use. 
IVIG is proposed to bind unbound superantigens in superantigen-mediated toxic shock syndrome associated with some staph and strep species. Multiple studies have shown no difference in patient-centered outcomes, including death and function. And not only that, but IVIG is very expensive and has a lot of potential side effects, including allergic reaction, aseptic meningitis, hemolytic anemia, acute kidney injury, transmission of pathogens, and thrombosis. Until we have more data, I would stay away from them since they're not currently endorsed by evidence-based guidelines. Yeah, great point. And I think the big takeaway for us in the ED, resuscitate, give them broad-spectrum antibiotics, something with toxin inhibition, and then consult your surgeons. You need to get your surgical specialist at the bedside. There are some other options like hyperbaric oxygen, IVIG, but these are not going to be something that we can focus on in the ED. Now, Jess, I have to ask, I like to ask everyone who's cared for an NSTI patient, have you ever performed the finger test? Yes, I have done this. I had a patient during residency at one of our critical access hospitals, uh, and I had a strong clinician for NSTI. General surgery at that small hospital wasn't comfortable taking the patient to the OR for exploration. His lorenic score was pretty low, and I needed a definitive diagnosis in order to secure emergent transfer to a tertiary care center. We were able to do that successfully. This brings us to pearl number eight. A definitive diagnosis can be made at bedside with a scalpel in some patients. Pitfall failing to explore all avenues to help the patient with an NSTI achieve early surgical consultation and source control. Emergency medicine physicians, especially those who work in a setting where transfer is mandatory for a patient with NSTI, like the hospital where I was working, should consider utilizing a scalpel to secure a bedside diagnosis. NSTI causes tissue death at the microvascular level with rapid spread along fascial planes, So, you can perform a bedside incision after local anesthesia to assess for dishwater fluid or the ability to use your finger to probe the necrotic tissue without impedance usually encountered with intact fascia. Essentially, you're going to choose the location of suspected NSTI where the patient is anesthetic, has dusky discoloration of their skin, hemorrhagic boule, or other skin findings. You're going to make a small incision enough to insert a gloved finger, and if dishwater-appearing fluid exits the wound, and if you can probe the wound freely with your finger in all directions with minimal resistance, you've made the diagnosis. This will help you confirm it and expedite transfer for definitive surgical treatment at a hospital where surgical consultation is not possible. Considering the significant impact on mortality with delayed surgical intervention, a small incision at bedside has limited downsides. Wow, you made that sound very simple, very straightforward. Let's say we have the diagnosis, you've resuscitated the patient, given broad-spectrum antibiotics, and you've consulted the surgeon. What's the final pearl and pitfall? Here we go, Brett. Pearl number nine, source control in NSTI is the most significant factor in reducing mortality. Pitfall, failure to appreciate the importance of early and aggressive source control. In all subtypes of NSTI, inflammation of local tissues leads to microvascular thrombosis, like we mentioned before. 
Essentially, you get ischemia of those local tissues, and this further feeds bacterial propagation. Because of this ischemia, you get damage to nervous tissue, which starts out with pain out of proportion and then progresses to anesthesia. Also realize that once you've got a microvascular thrombotic process, it's really hard for your antibiotics to penetrate those tissues, emphasizing the need to start antibiotics early. Source control in sepsis is not fully appreciated, but it's crucial for any physician caring for a septic patient. You know that sepsis is defined as a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by dysregulated host response to infection. We have to remove the infectious source. Otherwise, that dysregulated host response will lead to worsening morbidity and mortality. The morbidity and mortality in NSTI are substantial. A 2017 retrospective review examining 60 patients with NSTI revealed a significant mortality reduction disparity in those patients who had surgical intervention, mortality 14% when compared to patients who did not undergo surgical intervention, 60%. Survival in NSTI is optimal when patients are taken for surgical debridement within six hours but the survival benefit is still seen as long as surgery is performed within 24 hours. Yeah, it's all about that source control. And Jess, this was some amazing content. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Britt. I'm really passionate about rare but can't miss diagnoses and procedures, and NSTI is one of these. Areas of education that interest me include preparedness for situations of high stress and cognitive overload and avoidance of anchoring bias. I hope that our listeners have gleaned something from the episode today and that they will take with them to their next shift and that they'll feel more comfortable making the clinical diagnosis of NSTI. Absolutely. I know I learned a bunch. I'm sure our listeners did. And we'll be definitely having you on the show for more amazing content. In summary, NSTI is a deadly spectrum of diseases. There are many different risk factors, immunocompromise, diabetes, severe renal and liver disease, also chronic illness or recent surgery. Patients can have a wide range of presentations. Look carefully for any vital sign abnormalities and make sure to perform a full skin exam. Patients don't always have that bolet or crepitus or even a fever. Look for pain out of proportion, rapidly expanding erythema, and pain beyond the margin of the erythema. Don't rely on labs or the lyrinic score to rule out the disease. Imaging can help, but it is not 100%. Ultrasound can provide some important clues at the bedside with the staph mnemonic. Treatment includes resuscitation, broad-spectrum antibiotics, and source control. If you're concerned about the disease, get your surgeon down to the bedside. Source control by far is the most important factor in prognosis. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 